Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You are listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. And today we have on Jason DeBono, who is the vice president of Nibiu Trust Company. They're an alternative asset custodian. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. So where, where, are, you, where are you from? Well, I'm, I'm a Florida guy. So we right. um, uh, born and raised here and uh, live just outside of Orlando now. And, and uh, our processing office for the trust company uh, is here in, in, uh, in Orlando. And our uh, trust company itself and, and compliance office is out of South Dakota. Got it. And then as a vice president of the company, what, what's sort of your day-to-day uh, workload look like? What are you, what are you exactly doing? Oh boy, man! I wish I could answer that, but <laughs> articulate that very well. Um, you know, I, I think it's probably split uh, a third in kind of the the vision of the company, where we headed. You know, trying to look a little further out than than day to day. A third, kind of overlooking. Um, you know, working with our team on the operational side. Um, you know, finding efficiencies, that sort of thing. Uh, and a third on the sales side. So, what are we? You know, what are we doing out in the marketplace? Uh, you know, to help educate the market. Uh, and, and consumers on how they can add retirement, uh, uh, sorry, alternative assets to their investment portfolio. How, how did you get into uh, learning about alternative assets? I mean, that's a, it's a very niche uh, kind of business. So, Well, I, you know, as the story goes, it, it started because dad said no, um, candidly. Um, I, I was, uh, I, I've been doing this uh, almost 16 years now. I, I started uh, my last semester of college. I was looking for some, some work. Uh, outside of retail, I was working in, at uh, at a clothing store uh, through college, and I thought, you know, let me go get a, a real job and some real experience. So I went to an internship expo, and and I met with a lot of companies, kind of some household names. And I remember, you know, meeting this kind of tiny little company called Newview, and and uh, and interviewing with them. And before the interview, I went on their website and was like, I just don't know what this is. I didn't even make sense to me. I was a marketing major, you know. Uh, IRAs and alternative assets was way over my head. So I called dad and I was like, you know, dad, get on the internet, you know, which was yeah. a, a chore in and of itself. Um, and I'm like, what's this company do? And he, he said, well, it looks like they deal with people that buy alternatives like real estate inside retirement accounts, but you can't do that. My broker told me that that was illegal. And mm-hmm. so uh, obviously I was more intrigued, took the interview and uh, it was a tiny company. There was three, um, I was the third employee and uh, you know, here we are, we've got uh, 50 some um, or so employees and a billion and a half dollars in assets. So how does, how does that work if someone wants to put alternative assets into their IRA? Well, it doesn't work much differently than putting stocks in, right? I mean, the idea, at least at, at, at 20,000 feet, is the same. Uh, you know, we tend to think that the only investments that are permissible in retirement accounts are what Schwab, Fidelity, Merrill Lynch allow us to invest into. And the reality is, since IRAs were created, you've always been able to own investments outside the stock market, but you haven't been able to find a custodian willing to hold them, right? The banks and brokerages just didn't want to do it. it it's kind of like, look, you know, wanting a taco when all there is is a Burger King, Wendy's and McDonald's. It's not that they don't exist. It's just in the circle you're running in, right? There is no taco. Um, so we're a custodian that gives people that ability to add investments. So it really two things change. Um, number one, you have to find your own investments. So uh, as an alternative custodian, there is no ticker symbol. There's no directory list, um, and and there's no advice from us. That's not our role. We just 
we don't know enough about the variety of investments that you can make. Uh, so that's really the, the big one. And then the second is it's got to be strictly for investment purposes. So, uh, you know, just because you can buy a property in an IRA doesn't mean you can buy a vacation home or a primary residence. So you got to go find your own investments and you got to find investments that are strictly investment. So how does that work? Let's say, you know, I, I buy real estate, right, sometimes. So if I'm buying a single family home in Detroit, let's say, how would I go ahead and what's the process to put that into an IRA? Well, so there's really two parts, right? The first part is finding the investment and doing due diligence. And that really looks the same, Eric, no matter when, you know, whether you buy it in an IRA or not, right? You're going to go out, you're going to knock on doors, or you're going to, you know, look through, uh, you know, uh, listings, MLS, however you find your properties. And when you find it, you're going to do due diligence, right? Is this the type of investment? Do I want to make it? When you want to make that next decision, which is, do I buy this with my personal money or do I buy it with retirement money? Um, once you make that decision that it's retirement money, then really a couple things are, are going to be different. One is when you go to take it under contract, you're not going to just put Eric on the contract. You're going to put new view for the benefit of Eric's IRA so that it's clear from day one to the IRS that this is being bought in an IRA. And that's important because of the tax benefit of an IRA. And the IRS wants to ensure that we're drawing a clear line between personal assets and IRA assets, and they don't want you transferring them back and forth. So that's the first thing. Once you've done that, then you're going to go through your custodian. In this case, I'll assume it's new view, and you're going to notify us we're going to need the contract. And then we get an authorization form that says, basically, new view, I'm authorizing you to go buy 123 Main Street in Detroit. Uh, then, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, and, and, and let me just put a bow on that. We'll, we'll work with the title company. It goes through a normal closing. Nothing is different except the titling and where the money comes from. So when it comes to closing, we sign the documents on your behalf because we're the custodian. So you'll read and approve it all first. Uh, and then we wire the money to the closing table instead of a mortgage company or third party. Now, how does it work with, um, you know, obviously a piece of property is going to cost, you know, quite a chunk of change. And there typically is maximum, you know, contributions to IRAs. So are these typically retirement accounts that already have a lot of money in them and you're using some of that, say you're selling some stock to then buy a piece of real estate? What, I mean, what, how does this work with a new piece of real estate coming in? Does that count as a contribution or how does that look legally? Yeah, so there, there's a few different things that we'd look at, right? And, and we need to kind of think through. So the first thing is buying a, an asset, regardless of what it is, stock, bond, mutual fund, real estate, is not a contribution, right? Um, nor are the earnings that those assets generate. So, uh, you know, stock market had a great day today, right? right. Carnival was up 40%. If you made yeah, you know, today. What, what, what I'm asking is, does it have to be money that's already in the account to buy the real estate? Well, so, so I'm going to go from, I'm going to work backwards. Okay. Um, so when you buy any asset, whether it be a stock bond or mutual fund or real estate, any of the income that it earns is not a contribution, which is awesome. Yeah. So the good news is once you buy it, right. But back to your kind of original question is how do I buy it? Um, most of our customers have adequate funds in their IRA to buy it. They're liquidating, uh, a, you know, some sort of interest in something else and transferring that money over to buy it. Um, but it doesn't mean that, that you have to have a sizable IRA. Um, your IRA can get a loan. You're gonna need about a third to half of the money for a down payment because you can't get traditional financing. You need a non-recourse loan. Um, so if you had a $50,000 IRA, you could buy a $100,000 property and get a loan. There's some opportunity to do that. 
Um, but most of our clients are buying with uh, about 80% buy with cash. So if it's a $200,000 home, they've got $200,000. Um, the other way that you can, can do that based on your IRA size is multiple IRAs can partner together. So, you know, if maybe your IRA has 50 grand and mine has 50 grand and the property is 100, right? You can't buy it. I can't buy it, but I can buy half and you can buy half and the returns can go back and forth just like a stock, right? I own a, a few shares of Microsoft. You own a few shares of Microsoft. In this case, I would own half of the property. You would own half. Okay. Now, now, is it, what are the rules around say buying a business? Cause isn't there some tricky stuff when it comes to business income that can generate taxes, like a taxable event? Yeah, you, you, uh, you're absolutely right. There's, you don't want to trigger tax liability. I, I shouldn't say that you want to be aware if you're going to trigger tax liability. I don't think taxes are bad. They're the result of making money. Um, how the tax money spent, I think we'd all agree. Uh, you know, we, the, the, there's no side of the aisle that gets it right. But when it comes to, to uh, triggering tax, there's really two ways that you can trigger tax in an IRA. So one, I mentioned borrowing money with a loan, mm -hmm. that can trigger a tax, right? It's called UDFI. What does that look like? It's called UDFI, unrelated debt finance income. It's specific to real estate. So if I do get a non-recourse loan, the percentage of money that I borrow, so in this case, 50%, then 50% of my gains could be subject to tax. So they're going to give me a free pass on what my IRA contributed, right? Half of the money, but the half that the bank brought to the table, the IRS says, Hey, if you're going to dump those profits back in your IRA, we're going to clip a little tax off the top. That's not a scary tax at all because it's, you're getting the power of leverage. Yeah. The scary tax, if you will, in an IRA is, is Eric, what you just mentioned, and that's business tax. So the first thing is when you invest in order to invest in a business in an IRA, it has to be passive, right? You cannot go invest into a business that you own or operate. Uh, there's some ways to do that through a 401k plan. It's a very complex strategy. If you're going to go out, uh, you can Google the term ROBS, R-O-B-S. It's an acronym called rollovers is business startups. Uh, that's where people take their retirement money, roll it to a 401k and then go start a business buy a franchise. Um, lots of landmines. You can definitely do it. That's not a business that we're in, but there's companies that can help you with that. But let's say Eric, you had a business, uh, you know, you're, you're in a, you have a computer business that you're getting off the ground, a new app. It really doesn't matter. And you wanted me to invest. And I decided to put 50 grand into the deal. Yeah. If your business, if, if my return is based on business profits, right? You're selling widgets, selling software as a service, something. And you're not paying tax as a business, so you're a pass-through, then I gotta, get, I gotta pay tax in my IRA. So think of it this way, when I invest in a Microsoft, I don't have to pay tax on my business profits because Microsoft is a C-Corp, it pays tax on its business earnings and then distributes the profits to me. Right. But if, if Microsoft was an LLC and Microsoft didn't pay the business tax at the corporate level, then I have to pay it at the individual level. So it's not double taxation and it's not scary. You just need to be aware of it so you don't think you're losing money. It's just net return, right? That's why much a, lot of, a lot of brokerages don't allow um, publicly traded partnerships to be in an IRA for that reason. I'm sorry, I missed that. A lot of brokerage firms uh, won't even allow a client to put uh, publicly traded uh, limited partnerships into, yep. into, a, into an IRA for that reason. 
Yeah, and that's a an area that we we do a lot of. We do uh, we do more in the private partnership world, but we do hold some public stuff as well for that very reason. So what what other lines of business? What what other kinds of assets that do you see these days going into IRAs? Uh, it so we'll slice it up a third, a third, a third, and then other. Um, a third is real estate, and and it's real estate of all types: single family, multifamily, commercial, residential. Uh, I've got clients that own burial plots, boat slips. Uh, you know, uh, easements, uh, you name it. If it's deeded real estate, uh, boy, I've learned a lot in, in, in the last 15 years of how many unique asset classes fall under the umbrella of real estate. Um, second asset class would be uh, debt, private loans and notes. Uh, this usually comes in the form, we see a lot of mortgages, a lot of private money mortgages, private loans to businesses, bridge financing, mezzanine financing. Uh, we see loans secured by um, all kinds of things, uh, car loans, automobile loans, manufactured home loans. Again, if it's debt, you know, we typically kind of say if it's got an interest rate and a maturity date, right. it falls in the debt category. Uh, the third category is private equity. Uh, this would be where, where your uh, true private equity, investing into startups, mid-tier you know, mid companies, that sort of thing, anything non-publicly traded. Uh, this is also where we would include any of the limited partnerships, public or private. Uh, a lot of those are syndications. A lot of those are real estate-based, but they're still considered private equity because the investor doesn't own the real estate. They own shares of the company that owns the real estate. Uh, so all of that would, would fall under private equity. Um, and then the other, which is eh, five or 7% of what our clients do, uh, a lot of precious metals, cryptocurrency in the last you know, few years is, has been you know, certainly a hot, hot topic. Um, th those are the two tax liens, tax certificates. Um, we have clients that, that invest into um, uh, structured settlements. You know, th th there's a lot of things that fall into that category. Uh, had a client that bought a racehorse. We've had clients buy sports tickets and sell them. I mean, you can buy you it, and, uh, and it can probably be done. That's so interesting. Now, does that fall under business income if you're buying and selling sports tickets? Likely, um, you know, and, and that's where, where the individual has to kind of work with their tax professional to determine if that meets the criteria to be considered passive income to the account or active, um, you know, income to the account. But most likely, yeah, it'd be hard to suggest that's not a business. Right. <laughs> so interesting. Now, you guys as custodians, do you ever take a view on certain assets or, or do you not do that at all? No. And, and if, you know, and, and really, if you think about it, Eric, I mean, how many asset classes have we talked about? There'd be no physical way for us to even have an opinion. And, and you know, I'll tell you the things that, you know, and we, we, we have you know, over 10,000 customers, $1.5 billion of assets. Over, over our 17-year history, we have over 40,000 unique assets that we've bought, sold, or something at the direction of our customers. So it, it is wild. It, it's unreal. And, and half the time, we don't even know what they're doing. I mean, I know they're buying 123 Main Street, or I know they're investing in ABC Company, but really, because of the way we're operationally set up, we're, we, we just, we're not asking a lot like, you know, Tell us about the property. What's it look like? What are you doing to it? Um, so yeah, our role is very limited. Um, you know, we are a passive custodian. Uh, we're non-advisory, non-fiduciary, so we take no uh, ownership interest or vested interest in the investments themselves. From an advisory standpoint, we simply hold them, report to you, report to the IRS, and let you make your own decisions. It, ha has there ever been a situation? I mean, I know you know if I'm 
you're buying a piece of property, you're not going to necessarily ask what you're using it for, whatever. But has there ever been a situation where something was so weird that it was almost uncomfortable and you had to actually figure out what was going on to see if this was kosher? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we have a compliance team and yeah, there, what we look for is, is administrative feasibility. Um, whether or not it's legally permissible, whether or not it's a good or bad investment. Well, that all falls well, on the an example of something that seemed kind of sketchy. Do you have any interesting stories? I imagine over the years, <laughs> probably some interesting stories, something that you could share legally. Is there any, yeah. is, is there any interest, you know, without naming names or anything? Sure. I mean, a funky thing that you had to stop or. I'd be very interested. It, you know, it happens a lot. And really, when when I say it's really administrative feasibility, it has to do with can can our policies and procedures and checklists and things that we do to satisfy our regulatory requirements. We are a public trust company. We do have uh, regulators that we're, and so we have to make sure it meets some basic criteria. So number one is can there is there a clear legal titling or ownership that can be held in the name of the IRA, some agreement, something. And then two, is it reasonably um, uh, of reasonable that we can get an annual valuation of some kind? Is there some way that someone can ascertain a value to it? Uh, th those are the two that tend to be the hardest, you know, things that we look at. Um, the racehorse was a prime example. You know, when the client called and said, I want to buy a horse. And we're like, well, you know, that's one you don't hear every day. Well, tell us more. Um, and it turns out, and I can share this from, you know, going through it. Number one, the uh, there is an actual ownership document for like a deed, if you will. Right. So we're like, all right, check. Uh, there actually is a market. And therefore, there are groups that can put prices on the value based on bloodlines and et cetera. So check. Uh, those were the two biggest ones. Uh, the other things that, that we wanted to make sure was, like, where's this horse going to be stored? You know, if you're putting this in your backyard, then we're not going to hold it because you can't store your own assets, right? Uh, but there are third-party places that store the horse, feed it, train it, you pay them a monthly fee. And so we kind of viewed that like an HOA that the IRA would pay. Um, so that was really what it boiled down to is, you know, can we can we get a reasonable, um, you know, uh, title? Can we get a, have a reasonable expectation of getting some sort of valuation and is the material life of this asset likely not going to be prohibited? Right. Now, what we don't control, if the client chooses to go ride the horse every weekend, right? Well, that's not our problem. It's, it's, it's prohibited. But at that point, we can't, as custodian, take responsibility for that. Just like if you buy a rental house, we can't, we, we're not going to sit out front and, and ID everyone that shows up to ensure nobody prohibited is using it. Have you ever had anything that was just blatantly illegal that someone was trying to do? Yeah, we, our team is, is, you know, we're not the police, we're not investigators, but we will not do anything that's knowingly prohibited. Um, so in the event that a client called and said, I want to buy a house and rent it to my mom, we'd say, I'm sorry, but that's prohibited. Um, you know, we just won't do it now. You know, I'm sure there's stuff that people don't tell us. Right. And, um, and those are people that will likely, get themselves in trouble, but we have, we've rejected assets at the time of purchase. We've rejected accounts at the time of establishment uh, and we've resigned on assets. And, and a, a very real example, um, we had a, a, a client bought a piece of property it, with their IRA, no, no issues there. Uh, and then we got a check from the individual and, and, you know, we thought it was a contribution, right? And so we called the client and said, you know, hey, is, is this a contribution? There's nothing labeled on the check. 
we want to make sure that we title it correctly into the account. And he said, well, that's the rent for the property. We're like, well, you know, well, you can't pay the rent if, if, and it's possible that maybe the tenant sent him the check or, you know, so we always like, hey, if they did this, let's unwind it, right? But going forward, you can't. And he said, well, no, I, I'm, I'm paying the rent. My mom lives there. And we said, you know, Mr. Smith, you know, your, your mom can't live there and you can't pay the rent. Those are two, you know, prohibited issues. And, and the client said, I'm, you know, you know, okay. And we said, well, we'll need some sort of notification, you know, some third party to certify that your mom's not there. It can be a local realtor. We're not looking for a police audit, but someone that says, yeah, you know, or some sort of rental agreement with a third party, something that makes it clear. And he said, I'm not going to tell my mom to move out. And, you know, we said, why well, we respect that decision, but understand that we cannot custody this if we know that you're breaking the rules. And so we resigned and reported it to the IRS and, and, you know, he was perfectly fine with it. But, um, you know, it's an example that sometimes clients want to do what they want to do and they're going to go that route. And um, sometimes it's by accident. Sometimes it's by design. So let's say, is it, is it mostly the, is it mostly an accident or do you just see, is it, is it really a mix of both? I think it's a mix of both. I mean, I'd be, I'd be naive to suggest there's not clients that know what the rules are. You know, I think they probably view it like speeding, right? You know, if speed limit 65, is it really against the law if I do 67 or 70? And, and the answer technically is yes. I mean, this is the IRS you're messing with, but I think their view is, you know, how far can I drive until I see a cop and can I hit the brakes soon enough? Um, you know, I understand the human behavior. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an advocate of doing it the right way because the tax ben benefits that this offers and the options for investments is too great. And I don't like to see anyone, you know, skirting the rules. Um, I'm fine with people towing the, the line. I think that's absolutely the way the code and uh, that, you know, in this country is designed is, is to understand where the line is and get as close as you can. But um, not a fan of people blatantly stepping over it. And if we know, and uh, you know, we'll resign as custodian. We just, there's no place for it. Yeah. So, so interesting what you do. It's like, you're, you're in this niche of the world of finance that not a lot of people uh, get to see, especially on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, other than the horse story, which is really cool. Is there any other just like noteworthy stories that you think are worth sharing? Maybe one more. Sure. Um, you know, I think this goes back to kind of that comment about real estate. And I just didn't know how many ways there were to make money in real estate. Yeah. Um, but um, we we had a, a client that, and this was pretty early on when I started. And, and so I was still kind of even learning how real estate works as a whole. Um, but they bought a property and set it up as a charitable remainder trust. And this is terminology. I'm going a little bit back in recollection. So don't anyone quote me on this strategy. But basically, it's it it's it's almost like a reverse mortgage, but you basically they they buy the property or take over. They pay the payments for the individual, and then they they take a piece of the life insurance and pay it all off at the end, so that and and it accumulates from a rental standpoint. So it allows someone and, and this happens a lot i mean people get into their golden years and maybe they didn't have enough money saved or you know the only asset they have is the house they've run out of cash and so they've got a three hundred thousand dollar house that they own free and clear they can't afford the upkeep they can't afford the you know ancillary payments taxes even without a mortgage and so they run into these challenges right well they have a life insurance policy but 
if you go out and try to sell your life insurance policy, you get very little for it. So they don't want to surrender it. So basically it's, it's a trust is established. The property is transferred into the trust. The, the IRA is the beneficiary of the trust and it puts money in to cover all the costs along the way. Uh, and then it gets a return off of a slice of the pie at the end. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting strategy. I mean, and it, it, it was something that, you know, I don't know if it's the right investment for me, you know, personally, but, um, it, you know, I know the client that did it very well. He's done a lot of real estate deals and, and it's probably a very profitable deal when the situation's right. Yeah. And I think it's clear, you know, for listeners to do your own due diligence and that we're not recommending any specific kinds of strategies, uh, on this episode. So fascinating. Um, if, if people want to learn more about, you know, the business, what they do, have any questions, what, what's the best way to find out more information or get in contact with you? Well, I always recommend start on our website. You know, it's there 24 hours a day. You don't have to talk to anyone. Um, go online and just, just look. We have a ton of content. If you go onto our blog, there's articles, videos, um, you know, webinars, uh, Zooms everything you can imagine. And, and you can go look and see if anything's intriguing to you. We bring in a lot of guest speakers uh, that talk about strategies and things that we're just not very versed on. Um, that's the best place. All of our contact info is on that, on the website as well, naturally. Um, so take a look at the website and then, yeah, if you have questions or, or you want to talk about how it applies to your situation or, you know, you've got money and you're considering what your alternatives are, uh, then we've got an entire team here that, that can walk you through kind of what it looks like, again, not from a good or bad investment or good or bad, you know, permissible investment, but from a standpoint of how does it work? What are the rules, you know, and, and what are the things that you need to, to be aware of? And that website for people who are not looking at uh, my my podcast website and looking at the show notes, just if you're listening in the car, it's, it's what is it, newviewtrust.com? It is with a U. So it's N-U-V-I-E-W trust.com. So it, it, the new view is unique like the assets we hold. Okay, great. And um, if there's any interesting like articles or blog posts or any anything you want to uh, have the listeners uh, be able to have access to as a resource, if you email that to me after the show, when we publish this, uh, I'll put that all in the show notes so we can have a nice rich show notes of information. Sure. Yeah, we've got a great e-guide that, you know, it's six or eight pages of, of good content. So we'll uh, I'll get that over to you and you can uh, distribute accordingly. All right. Well, Jason, it was, you know, a pleasure. Is there, is there anything else you feel in this topic? I know we could probably talk about a million different things, but relating to this and alternative assets and self-directed IRAs, is there anything you feel like we haven't covered that you think is definitely worth talking about? No, I, I think the only thing I'd, I'd wrap up in, 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 uh, in saying is, you know, don't be scared of alternative assets because it seems different. Most people buy these assets we're talking about every day. They just do it with their personal money. So doing it in an IRA is not scary. The fact that Schwab doesn't do it doesn't make it bad or, or unique. It just means that they don't want to do it. And just like you got no problem going to Taco Bell for a taco, you know, and McDonald's for a burger, you know, go to Schwab for your public securities and, and use a firm like Newview for your all. So you guys, uh, walk, you guys will walk people through that. We do. We, we're here to help you from a, a IRA standpoint. Remember, not from an investment standpoint. But most of our clients that come to us already make these types of investments. Very rarely are we opening an account and the first ever alternative asset they're making is in their IRA, right? That's I meant the more logistics of I have this thing situation. for a way I can do this for my IRA. You, know. you got it. Yep. Okay, great. Well, Jason, it was a pleasure having you on and uh, have a great uh, rest of your day. 
Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.